Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Animal Files podcast. Today, we have another episode for you to help you understand a different category of canine group, and that's the sporting dogs. So if you missed our previous episodes, we did a few months ago, around June, we discussed herding dogs. And if you're interested in that type of breed, then go check that out after you listen to this one. So some of you might believe a dog is a dog, and it's not really important as to what type of dogs, as long as you love them. But if you choose to get a dog based on appearance alone, there is a very high chance that you are going to run into challenges that you may not be prepared to deal with. So let's begin to understand what categorizes a dog as a sporting dog. So what do they need to know? Well, to understand what a sporting dog is, they are a group of dogs that have been bred specifically for tracking, hunting, and retrieving game birds and waterfowl. There could be other hunting dogs that might be involved in other type of hunting, but these dogs are specifically connected with game birds and waterfowl. They are typically known for their excellent sense of smell, endurance, and athleticism. But under that category of sporting dogs, they're actually categorized even further into four different types. These are your setters, your retrievers, your pointers, and your spaniels. Very different. Each one, very different. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the difference between these? You know, is it just the name? Well, no, it actually, these terms refer to their specific characteristics and behaviors when they are involved in this hunting. Setters are a type of dog that will track prey by a scent. Then they will freeze to indicate that they have found the game. Now, that means that the hunter has to come to the setter to get the game. Mm -hmm. Retrievers, however, these dogs actually retrieve the game and give it back to the hunter. And they can be very creative and undaunted when it comes to the retrieval. So no matter how awkward it might be, they're game to get the game. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably why they're such a popular breed. Yeah. Pointers are a type of dog that find or track objects and game through scent, like the setters, but then they do a pointing stance, which if you've ever seen a picture of a pointer, they'll be standing in one spot. Usually they'll have one paw lifted and their nose is pointed straight towards the object or the game that is being coveted. Yeah. And their tail goes out straight too. Yes. They look like a dart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I find it very fascinating. I mean, they freeze. They may only move their eye. Mm -hmm. And just like that whole stance. I mean, you've seen so many paintings of different types of pointers because they stand in such a unique way when they're pointing at prey. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. 
is probably one of the most identifying characteristics of these types of dogs. Yeah. The last type of a sporting dog are the spaniels. And unlike the setters, retrievers, and pointers, which either point you towards where the game is or bring the game back to you, spaniels, on the other hand, don't do either of those things, but they, well, they still will track out the game, but they find it in bushes. And once they know where that game is, they go into those bushes and they flush that game out so that the hunter can hunt it. Yeah. Another neat little way that dogs work with their owners. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a couple of things that you guys need to understand about dog breed categories in the dog breed association world. Because one of the things is that different breed associations may categorize a dog breed differently than another. As well, there are some dog breeds that can also end up being categorized under more than one category. So depending on the association and the specific categories that they use, a sporting dog could also fall under the category of hunting dog or gun dog. So let's talk about some of the general characteristics of sporting dogs before we go more specifically into certain ones. These types of dogs have instincts that tend to be extremely effective in field, woods, and water environments. They very much enjoy various field activities and hunting type activities. The breeds that are specifically water retrieving breeds, they have a water repellent coat, which helps to insulate them against the elements. So some examples of these types of dogs are Labrador Retrievers, Golden Retrievers, Chesapeake Bay Retrievers, Portuguese Water Dogs, Irish Water Spaniels, Irish Setters, and otter hounds, to name a few. I sense a theme. <laughs> <laughs> otter hounds, Irish water, Portuguese water, Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> I wonder how they get these names for these dogs. <laughs> I kid, I kid. So... Considering their categorical name of sporting dog, these dogs normally require regular invigorating exercise because they are very energetic and very athletic. They are typically going to thrive with activities that involve jumping, running, swimming, diving, and they have strong and sturdy bodies that have lots of stamina. Yeah. These are not dogs that you just have them in your house and don't do anything with them. Because then you're going to end up with a highly stressed and a dog that may end up having some behavioral issues because it has so much energy that's not getting released. However, they do make good family dogs because they do really enjoy being around people a lot and they are very loyal companions. Mm -hmm. They're also typically very easy to train because they've got high intelligence and because of their desire to be around people. Yeah, they want to please you because mm -hmm. they enjoy your company. So... We're going to talk today about the five most popular sporting dog breeds in North America, as well as in the UK. So for the most part, there's an overlap. However, there is one slight difference. So in total, we'll be talking about six sporting dogs instead of just five, so that we incorporate both North America and the UK. So the five most popular dogs in North America are the Labrador Retriever, the Golden Retriever. Surprise, German surprise. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> I feel a little spicy today. <laughs> the German short-haired pointer, the Brittany or Brittany Spaniel, and we'll go why there's two different names there later, and the English Springer Spaniel. In the UK, it's the Labrador Retriever, the Golden Retriever, the German short-haired pointer, the Cocker Spaniel, mm. and then the English Springer Spaniel. They're pretty common. Now, I'm just going to mention what the five least common sporting dog breeds are, but we're going to be talking about them in a different episode. And this is the least common in the world, not just in North America and the UK. These are the wire-haired Vishla, the small and large Munsterlander, the red and white Irish Setter, the Chesky Fusek, also named the Bohemian Wire-Haired Pointing Griffin, and the Rock Francais, the French Pointing Dog. So like I said, we'll, we'll go into details about that in another episode so that we don't make this one overly long. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll explore more in depth these most popular sporting dog breeds in the North America and the UK. And then we'll unearth the unique charms of these rare sporting dog breeds next week. So after the break, we'll go into more detail about the specifics of these different popular breeds to give you a better idea of which, if any, of these breeds might be a good choice for you. Yeah, I think this is going to be fun. So stick around and we'll see you in a bit. Hi, everyone. We hope you've been enjoying season three. It's been a great couple of years so far. Moraine and I just want to take a moment and thank you all for joining us on this journey and listening each and every week. We've got lots planned for you this season. Great interviews, great topics, and we're even building you a home on YouTube. If you want to help us out and be the first in line, just head to YouTube, look for the Animal Files podcast and hit that subscribe button. Or you can just head to the website www.theanimalfilespodcast.com. Calm. Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to the conversation. And we are back. So we gave you a brief overview about everything. And have you started to think about some of these breeds that we mentioned? A great many people love the Labrador Retrievers. I think it's the number one breed in the world. They are obviously very friendly, very sociable, and are awesome with kids and with families. But does that mean that this breed is a good choice for everyone? I don't think so. Because I don't think it would be good for me. So I know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> so let's find out which of these most common breeds best fit your lifestyle and your personality. So Miranda, what can we tell our listeners about the six most popular sporting breeds within North America and the UK? <laughs> Well, since we do know that the Labrador Retriever is the most popular sporting dog. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Let's start with them. These dogs have pretty much remained as the most popular breed in North America and the UK, and maybe even other places around the world for many, many years. But did you know that Labradors actually hail from Newfoundland? not Labrador. Some people may not realize that Labrador is an actual location. <laughs> <laughs> it is. For those of you who are Canadian might realize that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> so they're a North American breed. But they were actually further refined and registered in England. Ooh, neat. 
But, you know, considering their current popularity, it's actually surprising to learn that they almost became extinct in Canada in the 19th century due to government regulations and restrictions. Wow, I did not know that. But England was actually the country that helped to revive them. Well, thank you, England. (laughs) (laughs) So when labs were first developed, they acted as a fisherman's helper by fetching ropes hauling nets, and retrieving fish from the North Atlantic. Now their jobs usually consist of retrieving game, search and rescue activities, working as an assistant dog, acting as a police or military dog, and sometimes even acting as a farm dog. However, many, as we know, are just simply living their lives as solely companion animals. Now, labs are quite versatile in their capabilities and usually have a very outgoing, friendly nature. However, that's not always the case because I have come across labs that have been rather reserved. Of course, I can't really say that I know for sure that they were 100% lab or if they were a lab cross. They just looked like a lab to me. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, hearkening back to our last few episodes, it also could be their owner. True. Maybe they weren't able to be the lab they were meant to be. And so they had more of a fearful or stressed life. In the dog's perspective, I'm not saying they're being neglected or abused or anything like that, but they're not getting the care that a Labrador needs, which is one of the reasons why a Labrador is not a good fit for my family, because I work from home. I sit in front of a computer all day long. I don't have a lot of time to spend to exercise them and give them enrichment and take them for walks and all that stuff. They need activity. And if they're not getting activity, then they end up being stressed. And if they are just staying in somebody's house and not getting out and getting enrichment and getting walks and running around and catching frisbees or whatever they want to do, then they're going to be less socialized and they will be more fearful. Mm -hmm. You know, so I hearken back to our past episodes that could very well be the owner's fault and not the dog itself. Right. But we also have to keep in mind that still every dog is an individual. Yeah. So there's both sides of that. Well, there's, there's a few sides to that. There's the temperament that could come from the regular breeding. Mm -hmm. There could be the aspect of how they're responding to their environment and how they're being treated. And It could also just be their individuality at play as well. All of these things have to be kept in mind. Yeah. And labs do tend to be puppies until they're like three, four, five years old or in perpetuity. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, they never outgrow the puppy stage. And that could be a lot of work for people. So if you have a busy life, but you have a Labrador, then, Mm -hmm. you know, that again, individuality, but you also have to take into consideration the breed. I mean, even a lab cross is going to have lab characteristics. And if those characteristics are not being nurtured, then that's going to change the dog's view of their own personal boundaries and what they can and cannot do. And because they love to please their owners, they may reserve themselves for their owner's sake. And I mean, I still think most Labradors that have fearful reserve personalities Because the breed, number one, is so popular and they're really good family dogs, it is an untrained human. Right. And if you don't know what I mean by untrained human, just listen to our last episode. That will (laughs) give you an idea. 
<laughs> but I mean, mm-hmm. again, individuality has to be taken into consideration. But as far as a breed that's been so consistent for so many years, having one be so reserved, you know, I don't know. I, I think that goes to environment more than anything else. Yeah, most my most opinion. Likely. <laughs> my opinion because <laughs> they're great dogs they are and since majority of them do have this great temperament this has actually led them to become one of the most common breeds that is used for guide dog work mm, yeah because they get along well with others they have the intelligence to learn they have the ability to please mm-hmm. and they can just understand what needs to be done to support the human that they're guiding. Yeah, they're just super smart. Mm -hmm. But again, individuality, because I have seen some not so smart Labradors. (laughs) (laughs) They just love to have fun and they just want to please, 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 please. And they, you know, there, there are, you know, there, there are Labradors that fail the guide dog training. (laughs) Oh yeah. Because they just couldn't do it. They just, loved life too much <laughs> they just couldn't keep their focus yeah it's like oh there's a person that's gonna pet me okay i'll stop guiding i'm gonna let this person pet me then yeah <laughs> labradors are great dogs the next breed that comes extremely close in sharing the popularity status with labs is the golden retriever yeah oh yeah everybody loves golden mm-hmm. goldens however do come with some quirks that can both make them charming as well as a handful. (laughs) (laughs) Many Goldens are going to carry things such as toys in their mouths because it's probably in connection to them having been bred to retrieve waterfowl. So it's kind of this innate instinct to go pick something up and carry it. However, They are not very discerning in what they put in their mouths. (laughs) So without proper training and monitoring, you could end up with a golden who ends up ingesting some very harmful or disgusting things. Mm, Yeah. Or bringing you things that you may not really want. (laughs) (laughs) Another quirk is that they often have little awareness of their body size and their surroundings which can end up creating challenges when they become exuberant and want attention. (laughs) Yeah. And they can be varied in sizes. There are some Mm -hmm. goldens that are like maybe 50 pounds. And then there are some that are like 90. Mm -hmm. And typically males are larger than females. Yeah. In most cases. And I think they all think they're 30 pounds. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or maybe even 10. Like I'm a lap dog. I can. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But despite this, they are actually very intelligent. They're also very friendly and they excel in various dog sports and activities. And typically they are very confident dogs that can adapt to new situations, people and environments fairly easily. Which is why they're a very close number two to being Mm -hmm. the most popular. Now the next breed is the German short-haired pointer. This particular breed is very versatile and excels in retrieving on land or from water, hunting many different types of game, and as well just simply being your companion animal. Now, if you can offer plenty of mental and physical challenges, then this breed might be a good option for you. 
They're very intelligent, very energetic, and enthusiastic. You might be sensing a theme here. (laughs) (laughs) I think if they're going to hunt, they got to be enthusiastic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But these characteristics allow them to learn new behaviors, tricks, and exercises quickly. But they also tend to have a relatively short attention span. So keeping them focused on any one particular thing could be a bit of a challenge. So you need to have a variety of regular stimulating activities so they're not going to get bored. Dogs with ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) So these pointers can seem to have unlimited amount of energy. So tiring them out and keeping up with them might be a real challenge. So if you're somebody who likes to sit on the couch a lot or be on the computer a lot, these dogs are not a good fit for you. No, they need activity, Mm -hmm. mental enrichment. Now, these dogs have a tendency to shed quite a bit. And if you've ever seen a German short-haired pointer, they've got both brown and white hair. It's kind of like a spotted coat pattern, which means that no matter what you wear, you're going to basically be seeing hair on your outfit (laughs) (laughs) unless you are armed with lint rollers on a regular basis (laughs) there's a lot of dogs like that i think german shepherds shed just (laughs) as much (laughs) and the working dogs (laughs) but hey now if you're an animal owner your outfit is not complete unless you have animal hair on it it's just showing to others that they're a part of your family exactly Now, one thing about these pointers is that you'll often find them sleeping in all manners of sleeping positions. (laughs) So some of them might be very, very weird. (laughs) Makes them charming. (laughs) And on that note, you might want to refer back to our product sizes Mm -hmm. because that might be something you want to keep in mind for the beds that you choose for them. Yeah. And I think most of these, or at least most of the pointers and the retrievers, they tend to be medium to large size dogs. Like you can get some spaniels that are smaller, but the I, yeah. I think for the most part, most pointers and most retrievers and even the setters, I think are medium to large size dogs. So they will mm-hmm. span pretty much from like 50, 60 pounds to like 90, mm-hmm. I think. So give you guys that visual. So if you're interested in that, you know what products that would be best for them. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned about the Brittany or Brittany Spaniel and that there's these two different names. Well, there's two different names because it's depending on the breed association. Brittany's are not actually Spaniels. They're actually pointers. Oh, neat. I did not know that. <laughs> Learn something new. So the AKC, the American Kennel Club, has chosen to reclassify them as Britneys and removed the name of Spaniel from them. So Britneys are a dog that genuinely has birds on the brain. <laughs> they love their birds. <laughs> <laughs> They are highly energetic and extremely active. (laughs) So they are not suitable for anyone who is not also energetic and active. And there is a chance that they could injure children with their exuberance. Mm -hmm. And this is more like the young children, like toddlers. They have the possibility of becoming destructive and neurotic if their physical needs are not met. 
but they have this natural hunting instinct, which makes it ideal to engage them in activities such as fly ball, agility, etc. If you let them off leash, though, you may end up finding them going after other animals such as squirrels and rabbits. So it's probably not a good idea to have them off leash if you were going on a hike with them or if you're taking them to an off-leash area where it's it's wooded and they might have an open space to run around in. But if there's no fencing or any kind of control that limits where they can go, you may have some difficulties. Yeah. And this goes back to, you know, you got to let the dog be who they are. They are bred as a hunting dog. And yes, they can be given boundaries. And yes, they can be raised a certain way to know, okay, we're not a hunting family. So there are certain boundaries that we expect from you, but you're never going to take that drive away from them because they're going to be a Brittany. They're just going to be a Brittany and thinking that, oh, my dog, we don't hunt. So my dog's not going to go hunting. That's untrained human thinking because you're not allowing your dog be the dog that it's meant to be. It's a Brittany. So you have to curb these behaviors by playing fly ball, playing frisbee, things where they feel like they're hunting without hunting. And then you Mm -hmm. get that energy out of them. And, and, and if you are an untrained human and you have a Brittany, yeah, don't let your, actually any of these breeds, these are all hunting breeds. Don't let them off leash or you're going to have situations where they're going to come back with a duck or they're going to come back with a rabbit or they're going to come back with a bird. I mean, well, a duck is a bird, but you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that in some, the instincts are much stronger than others because it's like when I see labs at the dog park, they're more interested in going and chasing after the ball. They're not interested so much in looking for the squirrel or the bird or something like that. As long as they've got something that they know they can chase and they've been trained to chase it, then that seems to be okay. And maybe that might be the same case with the Brittany, but maybe the Brittany has a stronger prey drive than some of these others. Yeah, I think maybe it depends on how old the breed is or how focused their breeding has been over the years. Mm -hmm. I mean, Labradors, you know, there's a lot of breeders out there that aren't breeding hunting Labradors. So maybe that's diluted the field a little bit. Mm -hmm. Brittany's, I know they're popular, but they're not as popular as the Goldens or the Labradors. So their breeding over the years may have been more focused. Mm -hmm. So that's why maybe they are more prone to doing stuff like that than the Labrador. Because the Labrador has realized over the years that, oh, you know, we're a family dog. You know, we don't do this. Uh, So I don't know. Just my little uh, tangent, but <laughs> that makes sense to me. However, Britneys do tend to have a sweet temperament. Mm-hmm. And because of this, they don't respond well to harsh training methods mm-hmm. or tense environments or loud activities and sounds. So you need to be gentle with them, firm, but gentle. And an unusual but normal characteristic of Britneys are that they have fine and loose skin, as well as having tight and dry lips. Both of these features help to aid in their hunting and retrieving endeavors, and when they're going through dense brush or bush. So this is not a health issue. This is a normal thing for them. So that's something to keep in mind. 
Next up is the Cocker Spaniel, which is a fairly popular dog, as you know, a lot yeah. of people have Cocker Spaniels. And these dogs are actually considered to be the smallest in the sporting dog category. You know, if you've been familiar with Cocker Spaniels, you might be surprised to learn that they were actually bred to hunt birds. Yeah, you don't think of them as being, I mean, they're a Spaniel, obviously, you know, they're part of the Spaniels, but right. if you don't think of these cute little loppy eared, curly eared dogs as being hunters, but they are. Mm -hmm. And there's actually two types of Cocker Spaniels. There's the American Cocker Spaniel and the English Cocker Spaniel. The American Cocker Spaniels are actually smaller than the English Cocker Spaniels, and they have a shorter back, shorter muzzle, and a more dome-like head shape. And another interesting characteristic is that Cocker Spaniels have hair. They don't have fur. Interesting. And they are also not double-coated like some of the other sporting dogs. Now, these dogs generally have a cheerful and amenable disposition. So they love to please you, and they tend to get along really well with both children and other pets. Some of the hunting dogs out there may not get along so well with other pets because of their prey drive. So that's something to keep in mind. And like the Brittany, this dog has a lot of sensitivity, and so they need to be trained with gentleness but firmness. They're not going to respond well to yelling and forcefulness or anything like that. And they need lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of love and attention. <laughs> <laughs> They've often been referred to as Velcro cockers. <laughs> Stuck to your side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even though they typically do well as a companion animal, they also do really well in activities such as agility and obedience competitions. And they have the ability to work in a variety of other capacities as well. You're a smart dog. Mm -hmm. Now, those of you who are familiar with cockers, you might be aware that there's a common condition that develops with them. And these are these bumps that develop on their skin. And they can get multiple bumps on their skin. But these are less likely to develop if you source this breed from reputable breeders, because a reputable breeder is going to be keeping health issues in mind and aiming to breed that aspect out. Now, the reason why they end up having a lot of these lumps and bumps and other skin issues is that they actually have more sebaceous oil in their skin than other breeds do. That might be because they have hair and not fur. Hair needs to be. have oil. I mean, we have hair. We have a lot of oil glands in our hair. Mm -hmm. That would make a lot of sense. Right. So we've got one more dog to cover for you. The English Springer Spaniel. This dog was initially developed to be a gun dog by springing towards game in the field and flushing them out towards the hunter. They tend to be very lively and they do well with families that are seeking an adventurous and energetic dog. So if you're somebody who likes to go hiking camping, spending a lot of time outdoors, this could be a good dog for you. But they can also do well with activities such as agility, fly ball, and obedience activities. This is another dog that has a lot of love for people and love to get attention. So this actually makes them a really excellent therapy dog. Because when you take a dog to therapy, the expectation is that the people who they're visiting is going to want to pet them and interact with them. 
So you need a dog who is going to be accepting of that. Mm -hmm. These dogs are also apparently known to have some unique behaviors and personalities. These spaniels like to do the Springer sprawl. (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming this is very similar to like the corgi legs out straight. Uh, Kind of, but opposite way. Oh, okay. (laughs) So they will lie on their backs with their legs straight out, but seem to be relaxed rather than playful or tense. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) That's funny. Then if you're a clean freak, this may be a deterrent for you. They love to roll and play in the mud. (laughs) (laughs) And possibly other things they might discover. Ew. The thought. (laughs) Staying clean does not seem to be a strong preference for them. (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) Now, these dogs also need a lot of attention and they do not do well if they do not get enough attention or left alone too long. They are very likely to develop anxiety. Oh, poor things. So these dogs are not good if you are going to be working away from home and don't have anybody coming in to give them that attention that they need. So somebody basically needs to be able to be home with them most of the time. Yeah. I wonder if the mud thing is based on their breeding because the English Springer, I would think it's probably England. They're hunting dogs. The UK has a lot of bogs and stuff like that. Maybe being covered in mud helped them be better hunting dogs. Could be, or just maybe where they happen to be hunting, there maybe just was a lot of mud, and so they just adapted to that. Yeah. (laughs) I just love the feel of mud on my skin. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's just a thought that came. I don't know. Maybe it's just like, oh, I just feel like I'm going to go to the saw all the time. (laughs) 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 So after all of that, does a sporting dog breed sound like the right type? you let's summarize this and see if any of these answer that question for them are you someone who would enjoy regularly going hunting or engaging in activities that are similar to hunting behaviors or agility type activities Hmm. are you someone who tends to be fairly active and are you willing to take your dog for multiple walks runs every day engage them in various physical activities and stimulate them through mental activities Are you someone who lives and intends to continue living in a spacious environment so that your dog has plenty of space to move? Are you someone who can afford to feed your dog the quantity and quality of food they require to maintain their natural energy and activity levels? Ooh, that's a good question. And if you have or intend to have children or other pets, have you researched the breed to see which of these breeds are the best option for you, your children, and any other types of pets you might have. Yeah, because some of these may not be good with like cats or smaller animals because of what they were bred for. Again, you have to take the breed into consideration. If you have birds that you let fly around your house and you get a cock spaniel, you may lose a bird. (laughs) You know, I mean... You just have to take all these things into consideration. These are great dogs, but you have to have the willingness to adapt your life so that these dogs can thrive. Then you can't take them and say, 
oh, well, I like this because it looks pretty, but I don't have this type of lifestyle. So I'm just going to get them anyway. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. You can't do that because you're. that's not fair to the dog. Mm-hmm. And you're going to end up with problems. You know, you're going to end up with behavior challenges. And if you're making that choice, then you're probably somebody who's going to end up blaming the dog for the behavior issues instead of looking at yourself. So hopefully you will look at your lifestyle and your needs as well as the animal's needs and aim to make a match as best as possible. Yeah. So if you have any questions, you know where to find us. You can email us at animalfilespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us at the socials. Just search the Animal Files official. I'm sure you're going to find us somewhere. And if you don't want to do all that work, just go to our website, theanimalfilespodcast.com and everything will be right there at your fingertips, including ways to support us and resources. So I think that covers everything. I believe so. I can't think of anything else that we need to add. Awesome. Well, hopefully this was informative and we will see you all next week when we go into some of these more rare sporting dog breeds. Some of these may fit your family or they may not, or you may be interested in them or you may not. But nonetheless, we will give you the information so you can better understand these breeds and make better decisions. So we will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us and have a great day. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.